Welcome to the Gateway Research Organization podcast. Research and extension led by farmers for farmers. Come grow with us. I am Amber Kenyon with Gateway Research Organization. We're a nonprofit based out of Westlock, Alberta. And we're running these networking nights with Greener Pastures Ranching every second Wednesday throughout the winter. However, this is an extra special edition night. As an industry, agriculture has started talking a little more about mental health. However, we have a tendency to shy away from talking about religion. And as Iris and I were talking about earlier today, politics too. But we're not going to get into politics tonight. We're going to keep it on religion. We'll, we'll do one controversial topic at a time. Even in, in spite of this, though, it's our faith often that keeps us going through the tough years. And it also helps us to celebrate the good years. With that in mind, tonight we're going to chat with three very incredible people. Um, I, I love all three of these people that are working in agriculture, or have worked in agriculture, and he, we're going to hear about their own personal experiences and how they've incorporated their faith into their work. So we have Clay Connery with us. Clay is a pastor in the States, um, and he's also a regenerative farmer, and he runs the Working Cows podcast. So he's got a whole bunch of everything mixed into one there. We have Dr. Surya Akaria, who is, he was a plant breeder out of the Lethbridge Research Center, and he is Hindu, and so is going to be bringing us that perspective. And then we have Iris Faceman, and Iris is a friend of mine from Organic Alberta, and we're working pretty closely with Organic Alberta on the conference that we're all putting together this summer. So we get to chat a lot, which is fun. Um, and she is Jewish, has a Jewish background. So we really get a mixture of everything in here and well, not everything, but a few different religions. And so it's, it's going to be interesting to hear everyone's different perspective. So we are going to be keeping the night to personal experiences. We aren't going to get into uh, debates on religion. That's not the goal of tonight. Tonight is to stick to personal experiences and to kind of, kind of see how different people are being fed spiritually. So with that being said, Steve, do you want to introduce Greener Pastures? And then we'll let our guests talk about a little bit about their history and how they got into agriculture and also how they became part members of their faith. Thanks, Amber. Yeah, no, uh, we're with Greener Pastures Ranching. Uh, we've been a part of this since the beginning of it. So uh, I'm going to step back a little bit here today because we've got uh, three special guests here with us today. So I'm going to take a back seat and just kind of help things along and help Amber do her do her, her portion. But yes, we're our goal tonight is just to keep this at, you know, what what drives you, what what helps you in your faith to get through the tough times and to enjoy the good times. And we've had lots of requests over this privately. Uh, I mean, I, there's lots of faith backgrounds in agriculture. So that's a topic that we figured, okay, well, we're going to jump out and we're going to do this. So, but it's uh, something we're, we're very passionate about here and it doesn't matter your faith to, to, you know, in our, in our perspective, we have faith and we are, you know, farmers and we're all one big family. So we're going to keep it that way. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let the, our, our guests introduce themselves and kind of talk a little bit about their their experiences and we'll get into the Q&A part of this session. Um, so let's start start with uh, Surya. Could you uh, be our first guest, please? Okay. Thank you, Steve. My name is Surya Acharya. I worked for 33 years at the Lethbridge Research Center as porridge breeder. That's how I know Amber. That's how, why I was rolled into or pulled into this uh, talk. And um, 
Um, I also am involved in the Alberta Forage Industry Network. I chair that uh, board. So uh, that's that's who I am, and I'm happen to be a Hindu person and uh, probably it's very rare in the among farmers in this uh, province to find a Hindu farmer. So I think Amber, that's why I said, well, you are connected with agriculture and you are a Hindu. Hindu so maybe we'll, you can give us your perspective about uh, uh, some of the agricultural things we have. Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about your work as a plant breeder, Surya, and kind of how you got into that? I studied, uh, I had my bachelor's and master's in India. Then I came to do my PhD in the University of Saskatchewan, where I had my PhD in genetics and plant breeding. And of course, um, I had never seen a forage crop until I arrived in um, Lethbridge. <laughs> My master's was on rice paddy and the PhD was on barley. And then I worked for five, four to five years in where uh, I was uh, the native grass breeder in this province. And then I moved to Lethbridge as the forage breeder. I was asked when I joined here, I was asked to do alfalfa breeding but I did not stay with alfalfa breeding only. Uh, researchers have a little bit of a leeway what they do and not do, although as long as they fulfill the main requirement, they are allowed to do other things. That's how I got involved with quite a few forage crops. I introduced two new crops to Western Canada. One is perennial cereal rye, and the other one is uh, fenugreek, which is an annual legume crop. So that's the only annual crop I work on. I mainly work with uh, perennial crops. I worked on alfalfa, sisal milk, wet, sandfoin, orchard grass, and uh, these two new, new crops. And uh, I think um, now probably more people know me as the uh, sandfoin breeder in Alberta. Surya, also the ace one that he was talking about, we're actually growing that on some of our plots that grow. So yeah. that's a lot of fun. Clay, you want to take the lead? I see you're unmuted already. And then we'll go to Iris after. I grew up on a ranch uh, in Western South Dakota here in the state. I would say it was a conventionally managed ranch. So I guess long story short, I, I ended up coming to faith in high school and uh, going away to um, Bible school after high school, and then coming back and working at the church where I became a Christian for a number of years. And then the reason I'm telling this story is because as that income from the church started to to wane, I went back to work for my dad. And my dad said, you know, you should go and get some continuing education regarding ranching. And uh, so I went through a program called the High Plains Ranch Practicum, which was taught at the time by Dallas Mount, who now runs Ranch Management Consultants, and uh, which puts on the Ranching for Profit School. And it was taught also by Aaron Berger and Blake Hotman, two other uh, extension agents in Nebraska and Wyoming. And uh, so during that, the course of that, I guess they, there was uh, the suggestion made multiple times that somebody in the room should start a podcast for ranchers. And I had the technical experience with recording equipment and these things uh, through my job at the church. And I'd grown up around cows. So I always said I could, I guess I, I figured I could ask a reasonably intelligent question about cows. 
the High Plains Ranch Practicum was a regenerative ranching school. They never, I don't think I'd ever heard that word during the course of the school, but that's what they were talking about, um, appropriate recovery periods and paying attention to soil health, managing for water holding capacity, all those things. And so that was a, a real paradigm shift for me as somebody who grew up on a pretty conventional operation. And so I was ready to dive into that and and it was opening up a network of people I could talk to. So in November of 2017, I started the Working Cows podcast and uh, released I've released 233 episodes to date. Still still got got a few in the tank already and and still still have more topics that need to be covered and more more people that need to be interviewed for the first time and more people that need to be interviewed for a second time. <laughs> so uh, it's been a great learning experience for me. So about three years ago, my wife and I transitioned to uh, a little bit less extreme Western South Dakota than where I grew up, still in in the Western South Dakota side of things, which for people in Canada, as I understand it, it's kind of Western South Dakota is like Alberta and Eastern South Dakota is more like Saskatchewan as far as row crops and and those kinds of things. So we're still in Western South Dakota, still in in an in a ocean of grass, as my brother calls it. And um, I'm pastoring a, a country church here, and we've got a little um, half section of land that we are managing, uh, custom grazing, bringing in uh, outside cattle during the growing season. We have uh, a small flock of sheep. Sheep prices were too good for us to hold on to all of them, so we we downsized the herd quite a bit this last year, or the flock quite a bit this last year. I'd say we are looking at the third year of drought. Um, definitely been two years of drought. But the first one didn't hurt that bad because we had an exceptional 2019. But it's looking like uh, a repeat of last year. And last year was very, very reduced production. Apart from divine intervention, <laughs> uh, we are, we're looking at, at some serious consequences as far as droughts concerned in, in our part of the world and much of West, the Western United States. So timely uh, discussion tonight. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Clay. Um, Iris, your turn. Okay, great. Thank, thanks, Amber, and thanks, Surya and Clay, for sharing. I wasn't too sure where to where to start off, but maybe I'll just start uh, start in the beginning. Uh, I was born in Israel, and so I was born to a Jewish family. Both my parents are Jewish, so in terms of like when did I come to my faith, it was right there, right at the beginning. And then when uh, I was five years old, my family moved to Canada. So my parents and my brothers we moved to Canada. We moved to Toronto, actually. So I grew up in Toronto. And it was actually through doing my undergrad at the University of Toronto in ecology that I became really interested in agriculture. And I actually really I remember the the lecture and I remember my professor who talked about farmers and their role in the environment. And it just something kind of like went off. And I knew that I wanted to uh, I just knew that I wanted to study agriculture. And there was also this certain sense of whenever my family went on a road trip, anytime I was out in the country or like out in an agricultural landscape, I knew I just knew that that's where I or felt like that's where I wanted to be. So that's how I ended up going from, um, yeah, like growing up in the city to wanting to pursue like studies and a career in agriculture. So then I went to the University of Manitoba to do my master's with Martin Entz and got thrown right in. It was fantastic. He was a professor and a supervisor who believed in throwing his students onto tractors and just like getting them like running the equipment. So it was a really great experience for for me to to do that. 
Um, yeah, and so that's how I studied organic agriculture. Then I stayed at the University of Manitoba, worked in uh, ag research for a while, both conventional and organic. Got to pretend that I was a farmer throughout the day, running all the equipment, and then, but like with none of the risk of actually being a farmer because it was all research, always got a paycheck. And then uh, an opportunity came up here to work with Organic Alberta. And so that's how I ended up in, in uh, Alberta. We worked at Organic Alberta for a while as a project manager. So working on different things, um, agronomy, plant breeding, a whole variety of things, working with farmers and industry. And about a year ago, I became the executive, the executive director. What did I miss, Amber? <laughs> I think that was great. It was, definitely. I, I will talk a little bit about my kind of journey into this too, because it, it's one of the reasons why I was so excited to do this. So for myself, I'm a Christian and I actually came to faith like my growing up uh, in my teenage years. My mom was addicted to crack and I you know, if it hadn't been for the church that I joined, I got, I got into a good group. My friends, the youth group and stuff brought me to church. And if it hadn't been for them, there would have been days like I wouldn't have eaten, like, you know, going to church, that was such a big thing. And so, um, I, I met Jesus through that. And, you know, many years later I came and met Steve and, um, came into agriculture through him. So I actually came in first into the regenerative agricultural world and not in the conventional world. And I, I've kind of gone backwards from what most people, cause most people came from, uh, conventional and then went into the more regenerative area. And so, it's been really interesting for me being able to incorporate like my worship and my faith in the regenerative agriculture field. Like even when I'm out in the field, out with the cows and stuff like that, like I'm playing worship music and stuff. And it really just encourages me. And, and it, you know, that connection is it's tied together very tightly. And I think that that's super important. So that was one of the reasons that I was really excited to, when we came up with this idea to have, tonight happens so yeah steve excellent what we were trying to do for tonight is to represent a bunch of different uh faiths and make sure that we're not you know we're not going to be one-sided at all um i actually grew up united uh, my mom was united my dad was anglican um so i'm definitely that background however uh just to add one more religion into this um i have a herd of cattle that are buddhist um, and the reason why they're Buddhist is because their pasture is right next to a uh, the Westlock Meditation Center, which is the Edmonton uh, Buddhist Center. That's this great big, huge place that this great big 20 story Buddha statue uh, overlooks my cows every summer. So I'm going to say that uh, my cows will represent Buddhism here tonight because we couldn't find someone who was uh, in, in with the Buddhist religion. So my cows will represent that tonight. My little addition. Awesome. To get us kind of started, one of the things that I'd like to hear, because we have been in a couple of drought years and there have been a lot of challenges. And I know even for, for Surya, who's not actively farming, but in plant breeding, and I know for Iris being with Organic Alberta, there's been a lot of challenges that have come with going to COVID and the droughts and working with, with producers that are experiencing these things. So could you guys each kind of take a turn talking about how you have been able to lean on your face in order to help you through these hard times. Um, let's switch it up this time. This time, Iris, you're going to go first. 
Hey, yeah, that, that's a that's a really good question. And um, it's really interesting to be part of this conversation because it's not questions that uh, I maybe explicitly ask myself every day of like, how, where does my faith play a role? So I think this is definitely an interesting conversation because I think uh, for me, like being Jewish and being raised with Judaism, like I was, um, you know, it's what we, uh, like how my parents raised us. I went to Jewish school for a while. Um, my grandparents are Jewish, you know, so it's like very much part of who we are. So it's kind of, it feels like it's really integrated into who I am as a person. So when I think about kind of, um, certain things, I think what I'm trying to get at is that it's like so much a part of me that it's sometimes hard to kind of pull apart from like how, uh, maybe I interact with things. Because we weren't, I also, we weren't, uh, even though I went to Jewish school and that kind of thing, we weren't necessarily very religious. Both of my parents uh, would say that they're more kind of like traditional Jews. So like taking the, the, the traditions that we have and kind of like carrying them forward and studying them and learning them. Um, so I think to answer your question, if I think about some of the elements about like maybe how I've leaned on my faith, I think maybe a little bit of like um, just the concept of having faith, you know, like just the concept of knowing that like a lot of the stories that we share are stories of like difficulty and people coming through that difficulty. So like understanding that we have just inherently there's just a lot of resilience in in humans and that we can get, you know, things can seem really difficult, but then we can get through them. So just like that knowledge that even though things are hard, we can get through them. And then probably another one, um, one of the things that I thought of in like between the time that I talked to Amber and being on this call is like, I was trying to think of like one of my favorite quotes uh, in Judaism. It's something along the lines of like, if you've saved one life, you've saved, I don't know if it's like you've saved them all or you've saved all the lives or you've saved, you know, and it's like, it helps me think about like, let's work on one thing and then it has like an expanding effect. So I think that's probably, so I'd say like those kinds of things like resilience and like working and like trying to make a difference in a small area. I think those are things are just kind of like integrated into how I meet challenging times. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that as far as the drought is concerned and, and Steve was asking about the, the, the prayer night, um, we, you know, like I said, well, I, I will set up the context, I guess, a little bit. I'm sitting in my office at the church right now, and I'm 35 miles from a gas station. Uh, so it's literally grass in every direction, grass and gravel roads in every direction from here. So the people that come to church here are impacted by by the drought, you know, and, and as, as is my family. Uh, but it's just something that we are, I think that one of the things that, that faith offers to us is a community of people to, to gather with and to, uh, to share the struggles with and to, to help each other to carry, carry the load. We're not going through it alone. We're not, we're not uh, experiencing this alone. So I think it's an opportunity to gather together with people on a regular basis, encourage one another and, and make sure that everybody has an opportunity to, or has, you know, somebody checking in on them regularly and, and some of those things. So I guess specifically uh, that's, that's kind of how the, the drought is affecting us and how we are responding to it as a result of our faith. And as far as the, the prayer night, I understand that there are weather, weather patterns <laughs> that 
come in cycles and that they can on some level predict when this drought might even end uh, based on the ocean and historical droughts and things like that. But in a place like we're in where we depend so much on this early spring uh, snow and, and rain, by the time they're predicting this drought will end, it, our growing season will be uh, kind of already determined and decided. So I, I trust and I believe in God's ability to work outside of what a climatologist is predicting and to, to send us some rain a little bit before they're saying we're going to get it. So we're going to gather together next Wednesday, a week from tonight, Lord willing, and and pray uh, with people from our region for some rain because or, or snow. We'd take it as snow <laughs> if we could get it So uh, because we are in pretty pretty desperate need of it. So. I guess that was my question. So I get to respond. We're in an area right now that I think, I believe, according to our government stats, uh, we've had eight droughts in the last 12 years, right? So that's not a, that's not a 50, 50, <laughs> that's pretty bad. So there's been many years where I'm praying for rain. So I'm, uh, I'm a believer too. I, I try I don't know if it's working, but I try. Yeah. Farmers in general are the most, most optimistic people among all because otherwise they wouldn't be farming <laughs> because farming is a very very difficult thing i think they take a lot of risk and all that but um, most hindus have a very interesting way of dealing with uh, stress and that is they believe in fate not faith just f-a-t-e fate <laughs> which they think that whatever happens happens because of some planetary positions and things like that and their bad luck. So if they are going through a bad time, they blame it on fate, not on individuals or not on anything else. And when they have good time, they also think that it is because of their fate. So <laughs> I think they have easy time dealing with these stresses, although stress is stress. Uh, if there is drought uh, many years in a row, definitely it would affect them. They affect them economically as well as uh, you know, physically also because in the dry areas in India, there are complete deserts. So um, I think they suffer from it. But at the same time, I think they uh, probably think that good time would come. It, it would change. It would not be um, a long-term thing. It would be any difficulty they're facing is short-term. And that's how they console themselves that just somehow weather the storm and look for good times. As a researcher, of course, working on crops that are you that are using irrigation and things like that, that is not a very difficult thing. It allowed me to select for drought tolerant types because of uh, the drought cycle. But at the same time, I think uh, sometimes irrigation, if you have irrigation facility, I think you can prevent crops from dying. And the other important thing is sometimes dryness can be good for having good quality hay. So if you, if you know that uh, Southern Alberta is blessed with irrigation and also a little bit of wind, which helps us produce good quality hay that can be exported. So in those terms, I think uh, probably you can, you can think that sometimes something that is bad for one group is not bad for everyone.
I think that's a really interesting point, Surya. Um, you bring up a good point that one something that's bad for one person isn't necessarily bad for everybody. And I'd love to dig into that a little bit deeper. I, I don't really have it structured in my mind necessarily, but I'm wondering okay. how each of you guys kind of see your faith in that way, because I think we can all agree that, you know, ah, well, I just hit somebody else's car, but that person's car, maybe they were going to get into a way worse accident if I hadn't hit it. We were able to stop that. So I'm wondering if you guys can maybe like speak a little bit more on that, on even in agriculture that sometimes, you know, how, how you feel about that and how sometimes those bad things maybe happen for a reason. And if you could kind of just delve into that a little bit more. Oh, Barry and Merrill actually kind of worded that better. How does adversity play out in your faith? Not to not to borrow from Iris's scriptures, but J- the book of Job says uh, that in Job thirteen fifteen says, "Though he slay me, yet will I trust him." So I think that there's this idea that there that God is good. First of all, God is good and God is sovereign. So there's nothing, at least in Christianity, there's nothing outside of His control or His will that happens. And so when we can't see, uh, when we can't see the tapestry that he's weaving, as one theologian put it, when we can't see the front side of the tapestry that he's weaving, all we get to look at is the backside and it looks like a tangled mess of cords. Uh, but then, you know, on the, on the other side of eternity, we will get to walk around the other side of that and look back at it and see the picture that God was painting the whole time and, and understand. And so, you know, I, I think it starts with that fun for me as a Christian. It starts with that fundamental uh, understanding that for that God is sovereign and that God is good. And so, even if we gather together next Wednesday night and we pray, and it doesn't rain on the way home, and it doesn't snow for another week or two or three, or you know, or the the La Nina doesn't shift until June like they're saying it's going to, that's not going to change my opinion of God, because he's revealed himself to us through the world and through, uh, through the, through his word, the, the Bible. And so we, we cling to his character. We cling to him as a father when we, when we don't see what he's up to, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm mulling this one over. It's interesting because yeah, I, um, I mean, a part of me wants to say that like, definitely in my family uh, and being raised Jewish and like still, yeah, very much practicing and you know identifying as being Jewish I want to say that sometimes with adversity it's like a bit of like well it is what it is and you just keep moving like it has like a bit of that kind of flavor and um one thing that I thought of too is that there's like a nice saying in Hebrew um but this is for more when like minor minor things kind of happen when um you know you're kind of like getting really frustrated over things but like you just if like you do something and it's not exactly the way that you turned it turned out to be. You can just say like Kapara, like it could be worse, you know, like, you know, like this bad thing happened. So another bad thing didn't happen and just kind of like, you know, and that kind of thing. And then, um, yeah. And then otherwise for adversity, like, yeah, I guess there's just a bit of a, like, yeah. Cause I feel like within my family, there's, there's definitely been quite a bit of adversity in the last couple of generations, like our family, we were Eastern European Jews, survived the Holocaust, went to Israel and then came to Canada. So there's like quite a bit. And I feel like the take home message is just like, you know, it'd be, I guess a part of it is like, what can we learn from it? So there's like a curiosity and a learning and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, it's uh, it's interesting how similar all the religious uh, beliefs and practices are. I think most people, whatever both of you said, is same for anybody uh, with my background. They will say that, well, this is just uh, something that was to happen and just move forward. And uh, I think uh, uh, in that sense, probably Hindus, Hindus don't have too different a view of uh, these things compared to other religions. So let's go in the other direction. So we've talked about the struggles and adversity. What about when really good things happen? Um, you know, how do you attribute those to God or do you relate them to God? And how do you show gratitude, I guess? Returning to the early pages of the Bible, right? Uh, that That we are created in God's image. And so one of the ways that we can live out the fact that we are created in God's image is to be generous when he's generous to us. You know, uh, when I've got more than I need, I allow that to flow through my hands, whatever that's, whatever that is, time, uh, talent, or treasure. I allow that to flow through my hands into somebody else's life that, that needs it. It's I'm a conduit for God's blessing to flow to somebody else. And I mean, ultimately in the Christian faith, God's the the pinnacle of God's generosity was him sending Jesus, his son to, to live the perfect life that we should have lived. And then to die the death that we deserved for our imperfections or our sins and to raise and raise and raise again in victory over those sins. So, I mean, it all, it all ties together that God is a generous God. He's a good God. He's a sovereign God. He's a giving God. And so, but then we, when we start to see ourselves as his image bearers, we realize that it's our responsibility to reflect that image of good goodness and generosity uh, to our neighbors. So that's how I would, I guess, approach goodness when goodness comes my way. I could, I could go next. Maybe we've developed a bit of like a, a flow here, but there's definitely a bit of like a flavor I feel like for Jews, where sometimes when something good happens, we also like to remind like something bad might still happen, right? Like there's still a bit, it's like, I don't know, maybe you've all seen uh, on television, sometimes when they show a Jewish wedding, so like they come to the wedding and then there's like, it's called a chupa, like what they stand underneath and they're under there and then they break a glass. The reason that they're breaking a glass is to remember like a bad thing that has happened, which was like the destruction. I think, I think, I don't remember exactly, but I think it's like the destruction of the second temple. So it is a bit of like in this joyous time, let's remember. So there's like a bit of, not that we don't celebrate, we celebrate. There's definitely like um, causes to, to do that, but I feel like it kind of like intermingles. And in one way, I kind of like that. It's a little bit realistic. In another way, I'm like, come on, <laughs> like, take it easy. But yeah. So that's a, a little bit of, yeah, how, how we see good things. I think um, uh, Hindus celebrate probably more than anybody else because I think they have <laughs> thousands and thousands of gods and goddesses. And uh, so every day is a day for celebrations. I think if they can, can afford to celebrate, they will celebrate. But the more important uh, functions or say religious events happen just after the harvest in India. I think they have three uh, main se seasons for crops. 
and uh, there are big events happening after those harvests are done. And it's a time when everybody is in good mood. I think they have some more money and they have some optimism for selling their product and making some money. So uh, naturally they celebrate quite a bit. But again, I think just like what uh, Iris said, that uh, the leaders would remind that uh, maybe don't celebrate too much because there may be some bad times coming just around the corner. So I think uh, be aware of that, celebrate nevertheless, but don't go overboard because uh, celebration can, can actually put you into debt <laughs> if you are not careful. Could you guys dive in a little deeper and talk about an event or um, an experience with your agricultural work where you had that opportunity to celebrate or to thank God for it and how you actually like what that looked like to you? So, uh, yeah, I guess for, for me, um, most recently probably is coming to a place that I could call my own quote unquote. Um, you know, like I said, I worked for my dad for a few years and then, um, kind of through just the process of a transition ended up with a place that I could manage. You know, I was the only one there responsible to make sure things happened and and to decide how they, how they happened, my wife and I together. And so, you know, I, I guess that was a, a pretty big, sense of accomplishment or moment in, in our, in our, our, our history and, um, has just been, I think also kind of to, to tie in there is it's comes with a, a big, a, a more weighty sense of responsibility, right. When you're the one that has to make the decisions. So recognizing that in, according to my understanding, I'm going to be held accountable for, how I improve this land. Did I make it better in the time that I had it? Do I give it to my kids better than I found it? You know? And, and so it's both. And it's, it's the celebration of the accomplishment, but it's also the realization that, Ooh, I've got a responsibility here and, and I need to need to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to make this uh, piece of land better uh, than it was when I got here. Okay. <laughs> my turn. Don't you love this Amber? We were just like, we're like, self-facilitating this part like you're throwing in the questions and then we just have this, this it's fantastic it. i could like not be here i can just let you guys go and, and be great yeah throw a question. Yeah. Um, one thing that I thought of when you said that about like a time for um, celebrating and kind of like connecting was there is a, a Jewish holiday called Sukkot. It happens usually around September and it's connected to harvest too. Like Syria, you're saying that, that the, some of the Hindu holidays are connected to harvest time. So a lot of the, some of the Jewish holidays are also connected to harvest, but like harvest as it would have been in like you know, present day uh, Israel. And there is, so Sukkot is one is all about a celebration of, of harvest. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good joyful one that happens September-ish. So it's kind of nice. It kind of coincides with a bit of like harvest time here. And with my first year in Alberta, like I was here, I didn't know anybody. Uh, I came to Edmonton without ever having been to Edmonton. Uh, and like most of my connection was coming through work, meeting really amazing farmers, really amazing people. And I went to, and visited a really amazing uh, potato farmer who had bred his own potato. Um, and then we went and he gave us this really wonderful tour and he sent us home. Of course, he sent us home with tons of potatoes. 
Um, and it was wonderful. And then when I got back, um, I thought, you know, maybe I should try to celebrate Sukkot with my um, with my roommates. And they were just like, they're just is no one there is Jewish, but they're just kind of into it. So it was like really nice to come together with them. We had like this long table. There was 10 of us. We sat down and I was able to tell them about my work. Like these are amazing potatoes and tell them about my my background, my faith, because I never yeah, I didn't really know any Jewish people. So it was just kind of nice to just kind of like find a way to bring people together. And I was just very thankful that the people were really open-minded to be like, yeah, let's celebrate this holiday and like to have the potatoes available. And it just, yeah, it just brought everything, all the elements of my life together, like friends, my background and my faith and potatoes. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you some a story that uh, may or may not have very much to do with agriculture, but I will relate it to agriculture at the end. Uh, when I came to uh, Saskatoon, they did not have one of the main, main prayers or puja, we call it. We um, celebrate in India, which is in October, after the rabi harvest, after the main crop harvest. And uh, that was not happening in Saskatoon. I knew because of my family uh, used to do Durga Puja at home. That's why I knew how to do it. So I started doing it at home and invited a few people to my place. And when they saw that I can do it, they said, why are you doing it at your place? Maybe we should do it outside where everybody can come and join. And thereafter, from 1976, until this uh, COVID came, I was going to Saskatoon to perform that prayer for everybody in the community. How do I relate that to agriculture? Is because of my agricultural background, my studies, I had to come to Saskatoon. That's where I did this. That's why agriculture has a role in this uh, story too. So it's a big function. I think uh, now in Saskatoon they have about. Uh, Two, three thousand people come to um, perform this prayer, and I used to lead them all these years. Now I'm, now I'm getting too old to travel 700 kilometers for doing this. That's why probably I would not go anymore. But uh, they allowed me to do it, and I did it. Uh, this was my challenge. Now you just so have to start that up in Lethbridge, Surya. Yes, I will. Uh, we have about two thousand people here. Those who have, those who follow Hinduism, but they, we don't have a temple. That is one oh. weakness we have. If you uh, don't know, Hindus don't have to go to a temple to pray. They can pray at home, and that's what we do, all of us. But um, mm -hmm. we would like to have a temple where people can get together, particularly the older people. They can have some social life if they have a temple or something like that where they can go to. Right. Uh, Steve, you put something in chat. Where was it? Do you want to just kind of read that out for your podcast people? Yeah, my my theory somebody triggered it when uh, when they were talking there when when you have abundance right when you get lots uh, that's part of our drought plan when we're in in grazing management on the years where we where you know god gives us lots we get lots of rainfall and we're having a good year that's not a year to take more right to me in 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 my belief that's a year to give back more and you know, the, the whole drought plan that I, you know, I've been doing for 20 some years is on those good years. That's when you give more back, leave more residue, 
because I know a drought is coming. Right. So I'm planning on the, on the year, like they gave us that, right. That's a gift to us. So let's plan ahead, leave the residue. And then when the drought comes, it doesn't hurt you so bad because you have that water holding capacity. You've left that residue. I, I guess that comes down. I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want to use it as a negative word, but, but it comes down to greed, right. On that good year. You're like, yes, we got a good year. Let's get as much out of this as we can. And I'm like, no, let's plan ahead. Let's save it. Right. I, I guess I always refer to it as a bank account. Um, the more you put into that account, you know, on a good year, then you can take some withdrawals on a bad year. So um, that's how I look at it. And that's that's where where faith has brought me as well. So. I like that. Thank you. So the next question I have, I'm going to try and kind of switch gears a little bit. How has working in agriculture increased your faith or has it? Uh, you know, another in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, where Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him, God ends up providing a ram as a substitute. And uh, that's where we get the Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is our provider uh, language. I have seen God provide even, so the first year of my management here, we had about a 90% reduction from from one year to the next as far as the income we took off of the land. Uh, it was actually a little, little more than 90% of a re- reduction from one year to the next and still all the bills were paid and everything, you know, so the Lord, the Lord is our provider. So I guess that's building a faith building experience for me to see, to see God continue to provide for our needs, even in the face of a drought. Iris or Sarah, you want to jump in? Iris, you look deep in thought. <laughs> yeah, I, was try- I, I don't think I've thought of that before. And I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of my answer because you said um, like how how is working in agriculture deepened the faith? Like that was kind of the question. Yeah. I Sarah, you go first if that's okay. <laughs> Come back to me. I'm still it's still kind of kind of spinning. Yeah. If you are working in agriculture, you have to believe in uh, faith because I think you are almost sure to have uh, adversities or um, difficult time um, because of, uh, if not uh, drought, it would be wind or it would be rain at the wrong time or snow at the wrong time. So I think uh, definitely the those who are farmers or producers of any kind, they definitely would have much stronger faith in the supernatural or something something bigger than human beings to help them go through some of these difficulties. So I think, as I said, the farmers are the risk takers. They take the most risk. And I think majority of them are fairly religious minded okay i'm really i'm really glad you went before me because it made me realize that maybe like for me it's not necessarily that it's deep in like my faith in judaism but maybe i've just kind of seen more connections to like judaism and other people so just like learning from learning from farmers exactly what surya just said about like that immense amount of yeah, like dealing with weather, dealing with like so many different for- forces that are bigger than you. And how do you kind of um, move through that? And yeah, so I think I've more, it's kind of like I've learned more from other people and found a way to like find a common humanity. Also through my work in agriculture, I've um, 
been uh, lucky to like connect with other groups that are doing things in different ways. So like learning also from indigenous communities. So seeing like what they're doing and what they're thinking and then like seeing other people. So it's just more of like, I think it's helped me see like the common thread through humanity and seeing like, yeah, I think just the common ground. Like I think agriculture has given me a view for a lot of the common ground that we all have. I guess I'd come back around and say also that the way I've always kind of thought about that is the fact that agriculturalists, farmers, ranchers, whatever we call them, there are zero steps between them <laughs> and that provision, right? Where as our, our city cousins and, and friends in the city, there's lots of steps in that supply chain between them and the food that they're consuming. And so it takes a lot longer for them to feel, feel the, the ripple effects or the breakdown in, in those things. Whereas agriculturalists with boots on the ground are immediately feeling those, those impacts. And, and sometimes our city, city cousins never feel those impacts because the supply chain is so distributed. They can source their, their meat, bread, milk, eggs, cheese, you know, uh, fruits and vegetables from, from different places around the world, literally. And so they never really notice a drought because there's another place that produces that and they can get it, they can get it. And so I think that that's one of the things where we have, we have less of a barrier between us and the effects of the weather, what positive and negative or uh, too little rain as we are getting here and too much rain as they are getting in Missouri. So, um, you know, that's, that. I think that's one of the ways, one of the reasons why it plays out that way. I can add to that a little bit. I, I think that the reason you know, I can be encouraged in my faith is because I'm in agriculture. Uh, I believe there's more people, it's more accepted in agriculture. There's, you know, in an urban setting, I, I might be hesitant to, you know, to say God bless at the end of a, a, a letter that I'm typing or an email I'm sending to someone. But in a rural setting, I'm not afraid to say God bless. Right. I mean, it's not offensive. It's not like they they accept that. I think there's more people in rural communities that are accepting of religion of, of any kind um, in the urban setting. Maybe we're maybe I'm wrong, but I, I guess it comes back to when I'm writing, you know, in, in the past 14 or 15 years, I've been writing in different magazines for many, many years. Um, sometimes editors delete out when I say God bless at the end of my article. Okay, like that's the part they delete out because it might be offensive to some people, whereas other 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 places they don't. They allow me to do that. And mostly it's in the agriculture, more more uh, rural communities that don't mind that so much. So I think it's encouraging, right, when when someone emails me back and they they show appreciation for me doing that, that encourages me more to to you know, continue on the, on the track that I'm on. So um, I don't know if it's an urban rural thing or just the communities that, that I'm involved in, but I, that's what I've seen in the past. Awesome. Thanks guys. Uh, next up we have Tara and this is an awesome question. I'm looking forward to the response from this. So Tara, you want to go ahead? Sorry, I put it in the chat and you can read it. Um, I did a recent article for Western producer, which is one of our bigger, um, ag-based publications out here in Western Canada. And I was specifically looking at substance use disorder in agricultural communities. In the doing the research, I found out that one third of Canadian farmers 
I have no idea if the statistics would be the same in the States, but one third of Canadian farmers would qualify as uh, have, have a depression diagnosis. One half would have an anxiety diagnosis that more rural Canadians are involved in some level of substance use disorder than in urban Canada. And that in Australia and America and the States, they actually have studies that have that have um, looked at some of these issues because we don't study it in Canada for whatever reason. We have no studies, we have no data whatsoever that look at uh, substance use disorders. So clearly we have a deficit in the ag communities, people who are struggling horribly and self-medicating and struggling just in a broad ripple out effect and Amber um, this is probably very personal to you, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be too abrupt, but I want to know how your faith is useful to your egg community. What does your faith do for your brothers and your sisters and your family members and your cousins um, from faith communities uh, in agriculture and how you can, we used to call it be Jesus with skin on. I'm sorry. I'm from an evangelical Baptist background. It slips up from time to time. I like to say I'm in recovery, but um, like what, what can you do to, how does your faith inform the way you uh, participate in your ag community when you know there's so much suffering? Sorry, uh, but I think that the, the Christian theology, uh, Jesus's last words to his disciples were go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so, um, there's that external impulse, there should be, <laughs> to, to Christianity. There should be that external impulse where we are going out into the world and, and we are loving our neighbor as ourself. That means that we are willing to broach uncomfortable subjects and, and have hard conversations with our neighbors about how are you doing? You know, I, I don't know what the stats were in Canada, but in, in the 80s, the leading cause of death among farmers was suicide. In the, in the United States um, in the 1980s, more farmers died from suicide than natural causes because the interest rate crisis was, I mean, we're talking three, four, five generation family ranches evaporating and, and the pressure and the, you know, the terrible weight that comes with that. And, and I don't think that we're far from that again, honestly. And so I think that that evangelistic, that external impulse sh should force us out into our neighborhoods to say, I love you. I want what's best for you. How are you doing? How can I help you carry the burden that you have? Or, or better yet, let me, as a, as a beggar who's found the bread cart, let me take you to the bread cart that is Jesus and, and let him carry that, that burden for you. So I think that's, that's kind of how it sh it should work. Now there's lots of fear <laughs> that gets in the way of that, I think, but that's how we want it to work. If you guys don't mind, no one's jumping in right away. So for myself, I think such a big part is community. And, you know, that's something that as a Christian that I'm called to participate in is community. And being a part of a local church is such a huge part for me. Um, the church that we're part of, it's actually in St. Albert. So it's not necessarily, it's not rural. However, there are, there are a couple farmers that attend, but that being said, like one of the initiatives that we started up 
before COVID and we're starting up again now is community dinners. And it's to help with exactly that, to be able to, for one, feed people that come in and whether, you know, everyone's welcome, it doesn't matter if you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to show, oh, you're on social assistance before you can enter these doors. Um, Everybody's welcome. And that is one of the reasons because we started these up at Christmas time originally because Christmas day, everything is closed. There are restaurants to go to. So even if you have money, there is, but you don't have community there's nowhere for you to go. You're, you're stuck at home and lonely. And, um, there's a lot of people that on a day-to-day basis are incredibly lonely. Um, and so it's very important to me, like I said, having grown up in the way that I did, food was scarce. Um, you know, healthy community was scarce. And that's something that people in the agricultural community, I mean, a lot of people do have family. However, there's still healthy family and then there's families that perpetuate abuse cycles and drug cycles. And, you know, coming to the church for me as a teenager, that was my chance to actually see what healthy looked like. Um, Until that, I didn't know what healthy looked like. And so that's something that through our community church that I really hope that we can get across to people is that, Hey, you can, you can learn from watching other people. Like, even if you don't necessarily have that in your household, there is hope for you because you can see that hope found through other people. And for, for myself, for other, through other people who love Jesus, I, I get to see that and I get to see what that looks like firsthand. Um, and that's helped me become the person that I am today. And I think that that's very important for myself now as an adult to be putting out to the rest of the community at the same time. Yeah, maybe I could add to that. And thank you for um, sharing that, Amber, and for Tara. For that's a that's a really good question and a really important thing to uh, bring to light. And also what you shared too, Clay. Um, I mean, I'll say that maybe in terms of like what my faith can contribute to the ag community. I mean, maybe in some ways like Judaism and that that connection. Maybe it's not necessarily what that can do because maybe people are. It's not maybe something that if people in on the most part in the ag community can necessarily relate to. But maybe some of the concepts of it. Of um, definitely, there's an aspect of Judaism. It's called tikkun olam, and it, you're like you go out into the world and try to make it a bit better. And maybe one other thing I could say about that is just like relating to folks, even though it's not the it's not the same situation that farmers are that I've experienced for with, where that farmers are experiencing where their anxiety and depression is coming from. But there's certainly been a lot of that in my family. Certainly has been a result from a lot of adversity. So like I would extend uh, compassion and like understanding and also understanding how difficult it is to talk about because definitely like the last couple of generations of my family as I said before it's like it is what it is and you keep moving right so that doesn't necessarily help so I can appreciate that sentiment and how hard it might be to um, you know connect and talk about it and be honest about it and then maybe other one other thing I would add to that is that um, here in the city like I live in Edmonton and I um, volunteer with a group that goes out and does a mobile version of what Amber is talking about at having like community dinners. We go out onto the street and we have wagons with us that are full of food and hairbrushes, toothpaste, cosmetics, anything, anything that people need and just go and connect with people on the street. And for the same, because there's also a lot of substance abuse issues here because of a lot of mental health issues, trauma, et cetera. So it's, um, yeah, I'd say if there's anyone on the call who's interested in talking about like taking that kind of approach into rural areas, I'd be really interested in talking about that more. 
I think um, others have said uh, most of the most important things. I think I don't have too many things to add. But um, again, I think Hindus mostly, I think uh, they they depend too much on prayers and things like that. And uh, mental health is something which was uh, being neglected in the process. Uh, even if they, when they know that somebody is suffering uh, with mental health and all that, in the past, they didn't have too many uh, options to deal with them. They would resort to prayers and things like that. And um, uh, now things are changing. There are um, more hospitals and uh, doctors and the medicines are available for helping them. But um, in the uh, definitely among farmers, that is a major concern because uh, they tend to be a little bit isolated from the major areas where they have the hospitals and all that. So they normally don't get the best medical help. Um, but uh, I think if, if a Hindu farmer was here, probably it won't be any different from other farmers. They probably would go through the same problems. There are some areas in India now where they are having major problems with these uh, overdose in medicine. Particularly, the area I'm referring to is Punjab area, where they have a lot of uh, suicides, a lot of deaths because of overdose and also other problems, debt problems and things like that. So I think these are serious problems. I don't have uh, concrete suggestions that would be probably, that would help anybody in that area it's a major major problem i think even in even in the uh, urban area now i think we see all kinds of uh, mental health problems even in canada in the first world country in canada we have so much mental health problem even in the in the urban areas let alone rural i think that this is maybe more of a language thing than anything, but uh, the, the word compassion comes from two Latin words that literally mean to suffer with. Yeah. And, and I think that, that the, we suffer with people better the closer we are to them when they're suffering. So entering into their suffering with them and, and, and not necessarily trying to fix it. Honestly, back to the book of Job, <laughs> when did Job's friends get in trouble? When they tried to give him advice, they were an example when they just sat with him, covered themselves in ashes like he was covered with ashes and, and wept with him for seven days. And so I, I think that that's one thing is that we need to make sure that we are checking in on people, but going to them physically as much as we're possible, as, as we're able and, and entering into that suffering with them. I also think COVID really like it has just exasperated it. And because of that, exactly that, that lack of community and that fear of getting too physically close to people, I think that, you know, I, I honestly believe that we're just seeing the beginning of, of the outcomes from that. And I think going forward, having community and making sure that our communities are tight, um, tight knit, and that we're checking in on people is going to be more important probably than ever. 
Tara, did that answer your question? Or do you have anything to add? No, I think, you know, coming from a faith background, we're really fortunate. We have, we can take an eternal view. We are able to have that perspective, however eternity looks to you, whatever that particular landscape may be or wherever that horizon may be for you. And I just think that it's great to have these conversations. It's wonderful to hear and learn. But at the end of the day, um, if we're not making our communities better, as much as we're focused on making the land better, we are failing as human beings and not just farmers. Very well said. Yeah. Steve, you had something to add there? Sure. I can. Uh, I'm just kind of one of the theories that I've been going on for a long time. I mean, I've said it before. I don't know if I've said it on here. I believe people, human beings, people need a passion, right? It's, it's in our, in our genes, in our, our faith in our, whatever, we need a passion for something. And I believe a lot of the problems in our society today, I mean, this is a generalization of course, is because people don't have passion anymore. Right. We used to have a passion for for religion, a faith of some kind. We had a passion for that. Like we believed and we were passionate about it. And today, fewer people in our society have have this faith, this religion. And but they they still need passion. So they grab a hold of somebody else's passion. They they get on somebody else's bandwagon because I think it's just our, our human nature to be passionate about something. And they get passionate about these ideas that are left field, like that mean nothing, but they're so passionate about it. You can just see it in their, you know, especially on social media and they're, they get angry and they get passionate about it and they, everybody jumps behind it. But I think this is a, a huge issue because we are lacking passion for our faith anymore. Like think, you know, 60, 70, 80 years ago, right. People had a passion for religion and that was their passion and they were content with that. And then I don't know. That's just my opinion. I think that as humans, we need to have passion for something. And I think that faith of some kind gives direction. I mean, what better passion can you have than something that teaches good morals and values and good life skills and, you know, being kind to your neighbor. And I mean, that's a, that's a very positive passion. I think that we, we are lacking in our society today. So I don't know if anybody has any comments on that, but that's just my backwards view. Oh, that's a good question there, Cody. So we're going to go off a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you want to unmute and ask it yourself. It's always more interesting when people ask their own questions. It's boring to hear my voice all the time. It's something my husband and I have talked about a lot is there are, there are families that we know that have taken Sunday as a day of rest, barring emergencies, of course, like when you're calving or whatever, but However, like my husband currently works for a rancher and that's not part of, that's not part of his ranch life, I guess. So we've discussed, you know, the different, the different sides of some people do really believe that Sunday should be a day of rest. And, um, that sort of falls into our line too, but it doesn't, doesn't really work with my husband having an off-farm job either. So I just wanted to sort of hear other people's opinions on that. Um, I, I know some people who who double feed on Saturdays so that they can take a day of rest on on Sundays. I know some people who um, take a, another day off. You know, I think that there's some freedom there, but I do think that that uh, 
as Jesus said, man was made, or the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So I think that there's some some freedom there to find a different way to to rest. But yeah, I, I think that it's an important principle. I think that I think that we are not created to produce all the time. That we are created again in God's image to reflect Him to the world, where He took a day off. He He rested on the seventh day, and uh, we should, whenever possible, find ways to implement that strategy. And I, I think it tells us things, right? Some of the things that it tells me when I take a day off is that I am not my provider. God is, God is the provider. And and if I don't go out and do X, Y, and Z today, there's still going to be food on the table next week and next month and next year because God is my provider, not not me. So those are some of the ways I think about it, I guess. Iris or Surya, you have anything to bring up about resting? I don't know if it, within Hinduism, is there a day of rest, Surya? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we, um, we all believe that uh, people have to have rest. And it is also, scientifically, it makes no sense to work the same way all seven days in a week. I think it uh, not only monotonous, but also tires you in the way so that you would don't have time to recover. I think that is the main reason why we take rest. But um, even when uh, I think in even civil, civil service, we are supposed to take a few days off. That also sometimes we were not doing it because we were too gung-ho to um, further our career. So uh, <laughs> I left behind a lot of holidays that I was entitled to. But anyway, I think that is that is not, not a good thing. Every time I think uh, people should take the time and relax and at least take a break from what they normally do on a day-to-day basis. That way you would uh, not only have some uh, rest time, but also come recharged to do your work well. That's what science says. Uh, That's what the studies have indicated, that those who take time off, they come recharged and do perform better after their break. So I think it is no different for us. Do you have anything to add there, Iris? No, I don't think so. I think like it's just a hundred percent take a day, you know, take the day off. It's like it's in the Bible, it's the, it's in the research, we should do it, but like I don't do it either, you know, and like I and like it's like for a different reason, like farmers, you know, like I have a lot of good friends who are farmers and like everything just like I get, I get the, the, the impulse to like work when you can. So it's, I, I don't, I'm not a good person to um, give any input on that because it's like a do as I say, but not as I do scenario. <laughs> so like, I think you farmers need to tell each other that and like, give, you know, it's like you're giving yourself that permission. I, I don't know. Like we all create these cultures Maybe, sir, you had that culture in your workplace of like the career is more important. I want to do well at my job. I want, you know, so and like farmers have the same kind of like, what do you mean you're sitting at home when it's like a you could you could be outside doing X to your field. But I think farmers are in a different situation because if the rain comes, the rain comes. Right. Like it's just I yeah, I have no um, just rest when you can prioritize rest in those moments when you can and like rest super hard. <laughs> And uh, even even uh, I think Hindus believe in uh, doing fasting. 
occasionally do um, they take the, even rest from food and uh, the idea is that day you don't have to even think about food because i think most of our time life revolves around food and particularly the ladies at home are cooking all the time and uh, this way if they don't have to cook if there is a fasting day then i think they probably can take good rest um that is one way to force people to take some rest that's so interesting surya because you know as a christian i fast and uh, but i never thought about it in that way that by fasting actually the people who are cooking get a chance to rest at the same time so that's a very interesting perspective i never considered that before yeah and i think that the 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 western mindset of having to produce even while you're fasting probably is something that we maybe get wrong too where Surya's saying you know you sh- it's kind of silly to think that you're going to be as productive in a fasted state as you were <laughs> so maybe that's another another rest but i and i think to iris's point too it it takes intentionality as humans we're not going to rest accidentally you know, there's always going to be something that will fill our time, something exactly. that will fill our mind, something that will fill. And so we've got to make that, uh, got to be intentional about it. Amber, remember, we, each of us don't know everything, but as a group, we know a lot. So there is always things to learn. Always, definitely. So we have time for one more question. This is actually flown by and, you know, going this because we haven't done anything like this before. I'm kind of like, I wonder, wonder, you know, is this going to drag on? How are we going to do this? But it's flown by. So the last question that I have, I kind of want to end up off on what worship looks like to you and what does worship within your work specifically look like to you? Ephesians chapter five says that we should redeem the time for the days that are for the days are evil. So to me, uh, worship while I work means that I'm taking in, taking in content. I'm appreciating the gift of, of creation. I'm taking in Christian content a lot of times uh, while I'm out moving fences or, or whatever I'm doing. So I'm finding ways to, to make sure that when I am out doing something that doesn't require my mental engagement, uh, I'm I'm taking in something that's building me up, I guess. And that, but there, but the, on the other side of that, I think that sometimes I don't leave enough space in my life for silence either. And so I, I should probably uh, be more intentional about being alone with my own thoughts <laughs> and uh, and wrestling with that. And yeah, so I, I especially in my line, all of my lines of work center around talking and, and listening, and uh, and sometimes silence would be i think would serve me better and something i could definitely do better at is is uh, intentionally creating space in my life for silence oh yeah that's a, that's a challenging one clay some room for silence sitting with your own thoughts that's uh <laughs> yeah that's always a hard one but a good idea nonetheless you know it's hard but um yeah like for thinking about worship like i probably like in general the way that i think about worship is mostly through the traditions that i do with my family uh, also, now that I'm uh, like living here in Edmonton, away from my family, a big part of worship is going back home and sitting with family and like continuing the traditions of our family. And then when it comes to work, I don't know if I've necessarily thought of, of that specifically, of like where worship might show up. So it's something to think about. But I think maybe 
similar to my earlier response of how like I feel like it's just kind of like a like faith is just a how I grew up is just a, a part of me. So just um maybe it just shows up in different ways. Like it's just, yeah, it's integrated. So it probably shows up in different ways of like the importance about like caring about the people around you. And um and one thing that I haven't mentioned yet that I think like that faith has given me the and I realize this the older that I get, I didn't realize this when I was younger, is my connection to my ancestors. So knowing that there's like this, like faith has a way of like moving through the generations and having a connection to ancestors. So like, sometimes I think about like, is what I'm doing, like, are they going to be proud of me? Are they proud of what I'm doing right now? And, um, yeah, I like to, (laughs) I like to think they are on some level because I think the work that we do, like connecting with farmers and like bringing farmers together and, um, finding ways to, uh, uh, work better, work together with nature, et cetera, um, is a good thing. So, yeah, I'll leave it at that. As I said, that uh, I am probably very different in my way of worship. I uh, worship first thing in the morning when I get up, but uh, that is a short prayer. But uh, before I go to bed at 11.30 at night, I offer my long prayer. That's the time I offer my prayer because that's when I take my shower, go and have my take my give a prayer before I go to bed. So I think we Hindus don't have specific time or time of day or anything like that to do the prayer, and we don't have to go to a place to do prayer. That's why we do it at home mostly. In that sense, it is. Um, although we have thousands and thousands of temples and there are th- millions of people going to them, but uh, it is not uh, essential part that you have to do it. But uh, I think that that's what worship means to us. I think we individually offer prayer whenever um, my children or anybody are sick or my grandchildren are sick. We offer special prayers um, because I'm not a doctor. I can't help that way. But um, I hope that they they get proper help from the doctors. But at the same time, we pray for some um, supernatural divine help for recovery. I kind of giggled at that, Surya, because you say I'm not a doctor, but you actually are a doctor. Just yeah. not an MD. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a doctor, but I, I know how to gene uh, move genes in plants more than how to fix my granddaughter or daughter's health. That's fair. I um, with myself when it comes to worship, I never. I so two years ago, for those who don't know, I got into videography, and I never really realized how much I sing until I started taking B roll, which is like just random videos out in the pasture, and I listened back, and I'm like. Hey, I'm like always singing every single one of these videos I'm singing and I didn't even notice I'm doing it. Um, so that's a, a really, I, I noticed that, yes, I'm singing worship songs a lot. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to, cause we're over time now, but I would love to hear your guys' closing thoughts and any encouragements that you can give to the listeners going forward. And especially talking about mental health and stuff like that and connected with spirituality. I think that that would be awesome if you could give some closing thoughts guys before we shut off the recording. No, I think it was, it is good that you invited me, Amber. I think uh, I, I enjoyed my time and it's nice to 
listen to different people, different ways of dealing with things. But uh, what I came to, what I realize now is that we are all more or less, most of the religion things, the good things are all more or less same. Some people misinterpret some of them. That's why I think we have conflict because uh, I don't think religion was ever organized to bring conflict among people. It was more to organize society when we did not have other means to organize it. But uh, I think uh, in that sense, I think everybody should have some faith and uh, it helps. If nothing else, it helps you in peace of mind. I think I like to, um, so I'll definitely be thinking about this conversation for a while. And, I, and I'm really happy that uh, we had it and I got invited. And I liked what you said earlier, Surya, about uh, we don't individually all have the answers, but when we come together, we can we can find it. I think there's a lot of wisdom and I I, I like that perspective. And yeah, and I, and I think I feel just compelled to say something about the mental health note that um yeah, I mean, I never know what to say exactly about that, but for folks who are experiencing that, know that it can change. Things can change even when things seem very dark. Uh, I think that's like a really important lesson that I've learned that your world really narrows when things are dark and just it's possible for change. And I think a lot of people have a really good intention across the rural communities to find that change. It's just a matter of breaking a few barriers. So, and I hope we, we all do that together soon and support each other in that breaking of barriers and, and listening to each other. And this is a great group for that. They feel like there's like a lot of trust and a lot of trust and joy in this group, which is really important. And I, you know, I guess I, I would say that kind of a two part closing, you know, we always say cliches are cliche for a reason because there's some truth in them, right? Well, there's verses that are popular for a reason because they're so they so well encompass things. So John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but has everlasting life." And so I think that that's the the doorway, you know, into the family of God. But then also, as I said earlier, the purpose of being a part of the family of God is to go out and to be good news or to be that good that good news in the neighborhood that we are that we find ourselves in. And so I think that again, to this mental health point, we, we need to be intentional about saying we aren't okay when we're not okay. And also knowing that kind of the default setting in this world is, is struggle. Iris alluded to it a lot tonight, especially with her Jewish heritage. They are definitely in tune with the struggles that they've been through as a people and so we need to make sure that we're being intentional about finding our neighbors and, and making sure checking in on them and uh, being, like I said, being that good news that we are created to be as image bearers of God, people who bear the image of God in the world. Well, this has been amazing. You know, I, I want to thank you guys all for being so open and willing to come on and, and talk because I know that it's, a little bit intimidating because we are told that we're not supposed to talk about religion and we didn't get into politics here. So we did. Okay. <laughs> but yes, I, I really want to thank you guys. Steve, do you have any final comments? Not really. Um, I will admit that uh, this has been 
fairly passionate for me. So I really appreciate uh, our speakers coming in here. It means a lot. Uh, this is a, a group that has become kind of family to us. Most of the people on here have been here many times. And uh, it's just something that we need to, you know, get out there. Like Amber said, it's you're not allowed to talk about it, but I think it is important. It's not necessarily which religion you follow that's important, but the, the passion you have for it and the faith that you have with it, it all connects us together. And I'm, I'm so proud of that, that, that we can do that. And, and that's part of what agriculture is. So thank you very much to all our speakers. Uh, appreciate you being here.